This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over him, or over them, excuse me, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Folks, that will tell you everything you need to know about dealing with the devil. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I wonder if that got around town. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, that would be a great end of the story right there, but that's not the end of the story. Notice what happens next. It says, and many that believed. What is he talking about? Many that believed. He's talking about people that are already in the church. This may include people that that, uh, had not chosen to believe in Jesus, but this event with the uh, evil spirit jumping on this man and what he said that we just read before may have pushed them over the edge, but it's also talking about people in the church. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, that means occult practices and ritualistic stuff, brought their books together and burned them before all the men and counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I've got a question to ask you. What are church people doing with occult stuff anyway? Do you remember back over in verse 9 where it says that when divers hardened themselves or were hardened and believed not but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples? What's he doing? He's trying to get them away from the world. Well, even though he was able to separate them from people of the world that refused to believe, he didn't get the world out of them. That's something only you can do for yourself. And it took this special event, it took this miraculous occurrence to cause people, please listen to what I'm saying, to place Christianity, to place their relationship with Jesus in the priority that it was supposed to hold all the time. The place of importance of their relationship with Jesus was gained only after this miraculous occurrence where these seven guys tried to cast the devil out of somebody using a name that they did not have a relationship with. Now, the Bible tells us that's not the end of Paul's time in in, uh, Ephesus. And and this doesn't cover the whole of the time that he was there in Ephesus. Most uh, Bible scholars agree that Paul was there anywhere from three years to three and a half years where some of these other events took place during the time where some of these other events took place. Uh, It tells about a riot and things that took place after that. We won't go into the detail and read that. But uh, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1 now. Here's the background for Paul's time in Ephesus, the only time that we know of that he was in Ephesus. Now, uh, not too long afterwards, after he leaves, he comes back through there and comes to a a close proximity to town. 
and he sends for the elders of the church at Ephesus, those that he left in charge after he, after he departed the city. And he shared some things with them, but we don't have any record that he ever went back to the city of Ephesus. We don't have any record in, uh, in any kind of documentation whatsoever, certainly not the book of Acts, that Paul was ever in Ephesus any other time except that one period for anywhere from two and a half to three and a half years. Now, the book that he writes, the letter that he writes, Paul identifies was written when he was a prisoner. He mentions three times in the book of Ephesians that he was a prisoner. Well, there's only two times that we have record of that Paul was a prisoner. One's in Acts chapter 24 and the other's in Acts chapter 28. Now, both of those were two-year periods. So the question is, during which of those two-year periods was he, uh, did he author the book of Ephesians? Well, with the things that are taking place and the fact that we know uh, the chronology or the, uh, the date of the writing of some of the other letters, I choose to believe that it was during his last imprisonment. Now, what uh, uh, occasioned this letter being written? The book of Ephesians is different than any other letter that Paul ever wrote. Every other letter he wrote to the church is to address an issue or a problem that's taking, taking place or going on in that church. The book of Ephesians doesn't address any problem. It's a letter whose theme is the church. And there's no problem that he addresses. But if you read the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, you'll see they're parallel letters. They talk about virtually the same thing in almost the same order. So since the book of Colossians was written, or the letter to the Colossian church was written to address a problem. Now the Ephesian letter is a little bit different. Because Paul is writing to Colossians to straighten things out. But it's almost as if, and, it, and again, if this is during Paul's second imprisonment, we don't know how much longer he lives after this letter. We know that this is the last letter that he writes to the churches. Or we, we, I say we know. If you, if you accept that he wrote it during his second imprisonment in Acts chapter 28, then that would make sense or that would fit the chronology. We do know that he wrote a couple of pastoral letters to individuals, Timothy and, and um, uh, Titus, at the end of his life. But that this is the last letter that he writes to the church. Well, why does he write this letter to the Ephesians if he's already dealt with the situation and covered the issue in the Colossians? the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. Well, apparently, Paul expands on it even further. Now, there's very little dispute or argument about who wrote the letter, but the letter to the Ephesians is a different style than anything else that Paul ever wrote because Paul is always, to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, and so forth, he's always hammering on the fact that Jesus has redeemed us, that it's the works, the works of the law profit nothing, it's only by grace and through faith are you saved and so forth. There's none of that in the Ephesian letter. I mean, it's, the doctrine is there, the truth is there, but it's not this point by point by point lawyer defeating the opposition's points that Paul wrote, the style that he wrote in the other letters. Why not? Because Paul seems to have expanded on the idea or the, the, uh, uh, the truth that he wrote to the Colossians and leaves one final letter for all of the churches. Now, have you found Ephesians chapter 1 yet? Ephesians chapter 1. Notice in, uh, I'm going to read the first, uh, first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That would seem to indicate to us that we know who wrote it and who he wrote it to. The problem is the two words at Ephesus are not in the original transcripts. The oldest manuscripts do not have the words at Ephesus. 
Well, how do we know then that it was supposed to be for the Ephesians? Because the theme of the letter that we call the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, is the, the theme is the church, meaning that this applies to any and every church. Apparently, Paul wrote this, and the, the style of the, the Greek language in the first verse wouldn't make sense if you don't have somebody that it's written to. For example, what I mean by that is the oldest manuscripts leave out the two words at Ephesus. The most trusted manuscripts don't have the two words at Ephesus, which means Paul left a blank there according to the grammar and the the text that he used. He left a blank there for every church to be able to plug in their own name. And apparently this letter was supposed to be sent to, carried by Tychicus, just like the Colossian letter was, to the other churches in Asia probably specifically the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation and maybe some others as well. But because otherwise it doesn't make sense. It would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Well, are those two different groups? They can be, I guess. But the structure, the sentence structure doesn't make sense if he's talking about two different people. He's talking about the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Jesus. That's what, he's, that's what he means. But if you leave out the destination for the letter, the grammar doesn't make sense. So this is a letter that belongs to all the churches. We've titled it to the Ephesians, but it belongs to the church in Foothill Ranch. And the theme, uh, the whole purpose of, the, of this book, this letter, is not to correct a problem. Because different churches would have different problems but it's to tell the position that the church has because Jesus has been raised to the right hand of the Father. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, you know as well as I do, we just finished a series on Romans not too long ago. And Paul takes almost what was divided into almost a whole chapter saying, say hello to this one, say hello to that one, say hello to this one, greet this one in my name, and so forth. If Paul spent more time in Ephesus, and that was to a church that he'd never even, a place, a city that he'd never even been to. Paul had never even visited the churches at Rome. But he had a whole list, laundry list of people that he was saying, say hello to for me. There's not one greeting or salutation to the Ephesians, even though he spent anywhere from two and a half to three and a half years in that city. Would that make sense? He's going to be leaving out a lot of people, isn't he? Again, it's because this letter was written to be circulated among a number of churches. Now, the first thing Paul identifies is that, his, that he is an apostle. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God, by the will of God. Now, 
Paul identifies himself. This is not an unusual greeting. This is not an unusual way for him to, to introduce himself to the churches. He did pretty much the same thing to the Corinthians and, and, uh, and others. But Paul is asserting his apostleship, but he's telling us something about the office of the apostle. For example, who do we think of when we think of the apostles? We think of Jesus' twelve. Well, then we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, and so he lost his place. And then we also know that in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that Peter, in uh, an attempt to fulfill the, the scriptures, had the other people choose, along with himself, somebody to take Judas's place. Now, how in the world is an apostle chosen by men drawing lots? Secondly, when were the apostles chosen to be apostles? One of the things that Paul addresses in this letter in Ephesians chapter 4 is that it was only after Jesus was raised to be seated at the right hand of God that he gave gifts unto men. And he identifies them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's some discrepancy or some discussion about pastors and teachers, whether those are separate offices or one office together. There seems to be a connection between pastoring and teaching that Paul was trying to to identify by the Holy Ghost because he made up a new word. This literally is not pastors and teachers, it's pastor-teacher. One, Two words joined together in a way that we don't have any record of that was ever done before. So whether there are four offices or five offices, four ministry gifts or five ministry gifts, you decide for yourself. But there is certainly a joining together, a supernatural joining together between, or intended to be, joining together the pastor and the teacher. But Paul says that those gifts were only given after he was raised from the, to the right hand of the Father. That means that the, that the apostles, the ones that we know of as the apostles, operated in a different way after Jesus was raised from the dead than they did when he was here on the earth. In other words, Jesus couldn't have called them to be apostles before he was killed. Now, he might have shared with them some of his plan. At the Last Supper, he showed, told them some things about the works that I do show you do also, but he hadn't called them yet. If Paul is accurate and telling the truth by the Holy Ghost, Jesus couldn't give those gifts until after he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, when did that happen? After he was raised from the dead. The Great Commission is him calling them to be apostles. Now, when Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle by the will of God, not the will of man, he's saying nobody and no group, Peter, none of the apostles, none of the other groups at, uh, at Jerusalem or anywhere else, decided that I was or wasn't one. It's chosen by God and him alone. Now, in Acts chapter 13, it tells us when Paul's ministry or calling to, as an apostle was confirmed. Verse 1, Acts chapter 13. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, the only ones that we know anything about, to my knowledge, are Barnabas and Saul. But the other three are in the same positions as Paul and Barnabas. Now, where it says there were certain prophets and teachers, that means one of two things. It means they were either a prophet or they were a teacher or I guess the third option was they could be a prophet and a teacher. We don't know who's who. But it says that as they were gathered together, Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have, past tense, not am calling them, have called them, have called them. 
the work whereunto I have called them. In other words, they've been called to be apostles before this point in time. Now, here's a question I've got for you. How did the Holy Ghost say it? Was there a booming voice from heaven? Well, if there was, it seems to me that, the, that Luke did us a disservice by not telling us that's the way it happened. Because what a magnificent way it would, there would be in that sense or in that event to be called of God. Who could question that kind of calling? That only happened when the voice from heaven spoke about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, if it didn't happen that way, how did it happen? Well, he must have spoken through one of the prophets that were there. Wouldn't you think? I mean, that's what a prophet does, isn't it? He speaks for God. So they're ministering the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost seems to come upon one of these prophets, and the prophet says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. I would submit to you that it's a probability that it wasn't Barnabas or Saul that said it. If it had been Saul, or if it had been Paul, he would have said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, separate Barnabas and me for the work that I've called them. So it's got to be one of the other guys. So here's the confirmation of a call that's taken place before upon them. Now, have they talked about it? Have they discussed it? Did Paul walk up to Barnabas one day? I mean, they were friends. Barnabas is the one that got him out of Jerusalem before to keep him from being killed. He's the one that brought him to the, to the other apostles in Jerusalem and testified about the grace of God that was upon him and so forth. Paul's uh, conversion experience must have been well known. Not too many got, people got saved by a light shining from heaven and a voice being spoken, falling off the animal they're riding. I mean, I didn't get saved that way, did you? We don't have record that anybody else did either. So that must have been widely known. It probably followed, followed Paul wherever the church went, wherever Christianity was preached. This legend of Paul's conversion, I would imagine, would be something that would be spoken of and told from city to city. Paul was a famous guy before he ever did anything. He was famous, first of all, for killing, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, and then he was famous for having gotten saved. And you can well understand why God would need to do something like that if he's going to send one of the greatest uh, church executioners out to be one of his servants. He's going to need some kind of credibility. You could well imagine that Paul wouldn't have too much success if he went to a new town, put an ad in the newspaper and said, I'm the guy that killed Christians in the last city I went to and I'm starting a church here. I doubt if I'd make that first meeting. What about you? So it would be necessary for God to do something in such a spectacular way as he did so that Paul's conversion experience would be known. But now Paul is saying, I'm an apostle not because Peter said I am. I'm not an apostle because my mama wants me to be. I'm an apostle because Jesus called me. Now what's an apostle? An apostle, the word apostle means sent one. Now, how can somebody be sent? In one sense, everybody's sent. I mean, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Doesn't that belong to everybody? Isn't that great commission belong to everybody? But you may be sent somewhere differently than where I'm sent. How is it that some people are apostles as specific or special sent ones? 
Well, there's only two ways I know of that a person can be sent. One is to be sent to a certain people or place or location. Another is to be sent with a certain message. I think some people are apostles just by virtue of the message that they've been given to minister. Now, they may minister that message in a variety of places, a number of different cities, maybe even different countries. But I think it's their message that makes them a sent one. And then one of the things he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, he talks about the signs of an apostle. He says, truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. And then he talks about through mighty signs and deeds and wonders, talking about miracles and signs and wonders and so forth. But the first thing that he mentions, the first characteristic he mentions of the apostles' ministry is patience. He said, truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you with all patience through mighty signs and wonders. Signs is the word miracle. Through miracles and wonders. Why does he put patience in there? Folks, some, uh, one aspect of the apostles' ministry is that he outlasts the devil. He outlasts the devil. See, we all want the instant results. We all, we all want God to flash lightning and, you know, roll thunder and then a voice from heaven saying, I'm with him. He's my guy. We all want to strike our hand over the, the, the place where the sick are and, and have them raised instantly and stuff like that. That's the way we think of things. But a lot of times the world is, is affected more by the long-term evidence of the blessings of God than anything else. Paul says that about the apostles' ministry. He said, true, all the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience. Why all patience? I mean, he did have signs and mighty signs and wonders. He did have miracles. We've got record of some of them in the book of Acts. Why does he mention patience? Because it's not an instant work. See, the signs of an apostle are not the same signs of an, as an evangelist. Acts chapter 8 tells us about how Philip the evangelist went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And everybody in the city gave heed to what he said, hearing and seeing the miracles, which he did. He goes to town and has miracles instantly. Paul didn't. Different offices, different gifts. But see, we get so conditioned to instant results. I mean, we get frustrated when we have to wait for the popcorn to pop for two minutes in the microwave. I mean, we're tapping our foot at a minute 54. We're so used to instant results. Everything about our society, everything about our lifestyle is so geared toward instant results. God doesn't always move instantly. And we've conditioned ourselves to where if it's not an instant result, it must not be God. And nothing could be further from the truth. God's going to be here after your deadline is long past. And he's still going to be good. His word's still going to be true. It's always interested me that Paul put patience first. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience. In all patience through mighty signs and wonders. We, we looked over in Acts chapter 19. Paul didn't have anything to do, at least to his knowledge, if the, if the historical evidence is true. Paul had no knowledge that the first great miracle even took place. Somebody took his apron or contacted, some sick person came in contact with his apron and got healed. Well, Paul can take credit for that, can he? Yeah, that was my sweat in that apron. 
Nobody else's sweat would have done that. How does he know? He couldn't even take credit for it. It wasn't even something that he walked up to the sick and healed them. Now, there were cases and, and incidents we have in the book of Acts where it did work that way, but not there, not in Ephesus. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience. Patience has a great deal to do with your walk with God, folks. The Bible says through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Now, if faith and impatience were the key, we'd get a lot more results, wouldn't we? But it's faith and patience. James said, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Now, I don't know any other way to relate to patience other than time. The patience itself is not just time. A lot of people pass time and, and never develop patience. But you can't develop patience without time. And the indication is the right spiritual attitude, the right attitude of heart, the right belief in the Word of God maintained in a steadfast manner will cause it to work every time. That means anybody. Think about what that means. That means anybody that has reached out in faith and failed to receive gave up. But isn't that what God gets blamed for? Well, I tried that faith stuff and it didn't work. Well, that's the problem. You tried it and then gave up. Because the Bible says faith and patience will cause you an inheritance. The Bible says faith and patience will bring in the result every time. I wonder how many people have given up just right before the answer came. That's always freaked me out. When I get to the place where I want to give up, where my flesh says just quit, just give up, I think I can't give up. Tomorrow might be the day. Then tomorrow comes and it's not the day and then I'm tempted to give up again. Well, I can't quit now. I'm one day closer. It might be tomorrow. Paul developed some kind of patience. He realized things didn't work as fast as he wanted to. Paul says in one place, I'll finish with this. Didn't get quite as far as what I wanted to, but that's all right. We've got until Jesus comes back. And I don't mind taking a series that long. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> Paul wrote to, uh, to Timothy about a certain man named Alexander. He said, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much wrong, but I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that he might learn not to blaspheme. Then in the second letter that he writes to Timothy, he said, watch out for Alexander. He's caused me much harm. What does that mean? That means God doesn't kill people nearly as quick as we want him to sometimes. <laughs> I mean, Paul's first letter, he handles it like, that's it. That's guy, that guy's out of here. Look for the news of him getting struck by lightning. Second letter, he says, now watch out for Alexander. Now, I don't know what happened to him. I'm sure it didn't go well with him if he withstood the things of God. But even Paul figured out things didn't work as quick as we want them to sometimes. Does that change God? Not one bit. Does it change the Word? Not one bit. Might change our thinking and should, but God's Word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His word will never fail. God's word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God 
and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. That's what the Ephesian letter is about. It's about who you are in Christ, who the church is, because of God's great plan of redemption. So he starts talking about God. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.